0: He is our cornerstone. He is the one we trust in. He is the one we place our faith in. It's Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our faith, that we stand upon. In this series, Casey's already talked about having a measured stand from chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Last week, he talked about being dependent. And having a dependent stand upon God and and depending God on God's strength and his mercy to be able to do what we need to do. And today, today we want to talk to you about a costly stand. And sometimes taking a stand does cost us something. Sometimes taking a stand for the Lord in this culture costs us a lot. It's a costly stand. We have several images that I'd like to share with you because they mean something. Sometimes it means that we stand apart from the rest of the crowd. We stand for what is right, even if you stand alone. And I think that's important for us to know. And then there are quotes like this one from Henry Kissinger who said, the enemies you make by taking a decided stand generally have more respect for you than the friends you make By being on the fence. When you take a stand, people eventually respect that stand. And then this quote that I've heard for a long time, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything is true. If you don't have a belief system, if you don't have a cornerstone, a a faith in Christ, then you're going to fall for any wind of doctrine that comes down the road. If you don't know what you believe, Then others will influence you to go outside of Christ. Then there's this quote. I love what Ronald Reagan said. He said, if some among you fear taking a stand because you're afraid of the reprisals from customers, clients, or even the government, recognize that you are just feeding the crocodile, hoping he'll eat you last. I love that. I love that. And then this one from Billy Graham. I feel sorry for the man who has never known the bracing thrill of taking a stand and sticking to it fearlessly. Moral courage has rewards that timidity can never imagine. Like a shot of adrenaline, it floods the spirit with vitality. I believe when you take a stand for Christ, you'll have that shot of adrenaline. You'll have that vitality that only the Holy Spirit can bring to you. Taking a stand can sometimes be a costly stand. Now, for young kids, sometimes these days they they get bullied at school, they get shoved around, they get made fun of, and sometimes, eventually, what it takes is for a young boy or a young girl to take a stand on what they believe and to not take the abuse anymore, and sometimes it might cost a bloody lip or a bloody nose. And sometimes those kind of stands are important for us to take then there are other stands that really don't make that much difference. I remember when I was a kid, uh, one day I decided that uh, I was not going to let anybody walk on the sidewalk in front of our house. <laughs> because, because I had figured out in my head that the sidewalk in front of our house belonged to us. And so one day I went down the end of the driveway, I posted myself there on the sidewalk, and, and I waited, and sure enough... Here came one of the kids from the neighborhood, and he came walking down the sidewalk, and I stepped on the sidewalk, and I said, you can't use this sidewalk. He said, what do you mean? He said, you can't use, I said, you can't use this because this sidewalk belongs to us. He said, no, it doesn't. I said, yes, it does. It's in front of our house, and it's in front of our house, and so it means it belongs to the Rodkeys, and you can't walk on it. And he said, that's not true, I'm going to go get my dad. I said, you go ahead, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> After a quick conversation with my father, I realized two things. Number one, the sidewalk did not belong to us. And number two, I was never to offer him to fight a fight that he didn't approve of. You know. Now those kind of stands don't make a whole lot of sense, do they? But sometimes we take them. But sometimes in life, we do need to take a stand. When it's Christianity versus a culture. When it's right versus wrong. When it's the ethics in the workplace that we need to honor Christ with what we do. And sometimes that can be costly. It could even cost you your job. There have been those down through the ages who have taken a stand that probably it wasn't a smart thing. General George Custer at his last stand at the Little Bighorn, that cost them everything. wasn't necessary. And then there was a stand, I remember when I was a kid, I was watching a game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers on the frozen tundra of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And there in Lambeau Field, the Dallas Cowboys were on the goal line, and the Green Bay Packers tried to three times to get in the end zone and could not make it and they were making a stand and on the final play, Barstarr took the snap for the Green Bay Packers, followed Jerry Kramer over the goal line and into the end zone and the Dallas Cowboys not only lost that game but they lost a world championship. Sometimes a stand can be a costly stand. Hmm. Larnell Harris sings a song and that song, in the chorus, it says, When praise demands a sacrifice, I'll worship even then. Surrendering the dearest things in life. For if devotion costs me all, He'll find me faithful to His call. When praise demands a sacrifice. Isn't that where we should be? And isn't that where we find ourselves in this series from the book of Daniel? In the third chapter of the book of Daniel, I want you to turn there, if you will, in your Bibles, on your devices, we're going to have the words on the screen as well, but, but I want you to know that, that in this last stand, this final stand, this what looks like a final stand for three young men who came from Israel who were serving in Babylonia, it becomes costly. It becomes something that that they could easily lose their lives. Let me set the story for you. At the beginning of chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler in Babylon, has decided that he's going to make an idol. And the idol's supposed to represent him. And it's laid over with gold and all kinds of fancy stuff. and, And then every time his royal orchestra plays music... Everyone in the kingdom is to bow down to the idol, which represents him. Kind of arrogant, but that's what he decided to do. And then that happened, and the music played, and and people bowed down, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three young men who worshipped the almighty God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one and only true God... They refused. And so some of the other people... ...ran to the king and ratted him out... ...and told him that... ...oh, everybody did it, but those guys... ...those guys didn't do it, they're they're going against you. And so the king called those three in... ...and that's where we pick up the story... ...in Daniel the third chapter... ...beginning in verse 13... ...you follow along in your Bibles... ...as I read from mine. Now furious with rage... King Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Okay, so now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and you worship the image I've made, that's going to be very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king, but even if he... Does not. I want you to hang on to those words. I want you to make sure those words are underlined in your Bible. I want you to make sure there's a star beside them. I want you to make sure that you understand those words before we leave here today. But if and if he does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... ...and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army... ...to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... ...and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes... ...were bound, thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot... ...that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, Now, weren't there three men? Weren't there three men that we tied up and we threw into the fire? And they all replied, Yep, certainly, king. That's how many there were. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like the son of God's. <laughs> Stop right there just for a minute. Think with me, if you will. How many times in the Old Testament already, if you've read through the Bible any at all, how many times have you already run into situations where people look upon something and go, wow, that, that, that must be the, the angel of the Lord. That looks like a son of a God. And God has intervened in those situations. And oftentimes the angel of the Lord, that phrase, or the son of a God, like this phrase, simply is referring to the pre-incarnate Jesus who has come to intervene on behalf of his people. I believe that's what's happening here. So Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach! Meshach and Abednego servants of the most high God come out come here so Shadrach Meshach and Abednego now I got to stop here and say I believe God put their names in this text so many times so we would have to pronounce them so many times (laughs) that we would know them right (laughs) so here we go So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was not even a smell of fire on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent this angel and rescued his servants They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. You ought to mark that one as well. There's not another God who can save the way our God will save. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, that's some story, isn't it? That God provided that for us. And I think today it takes us exactly where we need to be to talk about making a costly stand for the Lord... And I want you to know that in this story, you can find three lessons that you ought to be able to identify with. Three lessons that ought to move you forward in your faith. Here's lesson number one. When you are tested, when tested, stand firm. When tested, stand firm. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how many of you know how to say those names now? Okay, all right. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested about this situation, about bowing down, they knew what they were supposed to do. How'd they know? Well, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, beginning in verse 3 and going through the first part of verse 5, here's what the Bible says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth Beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. What do you take from that? Right out of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall have no graven image. Do not bow down to any idols. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego knew these words from the time that they were young and they knew exactly what they believed and they were not going to do what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. (laughs) Oh, how I wish the nation of Israel had been like that. The nation of Israel, the reason, the very reason these young men were in Babylon with many other of the Israelites, of the Jews, were because their forefathers and their fathers had bowed down to other images. Because they allowed idols from the outside to come in to the presence of the nation of Israel. And that's exactly why God had disciplined them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and others knew. They knew that they should not bow down to an idol. And so they didn't. They didn't do that. When they were tested, they stood firm. When they came up against it, they didn't cave in. How about you? How about you? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what the Bible teaches about things like um, abortion? And when you come up against that issue in this culture, do you stand firm where God stands in His Word? When you come up against the issue of marriage being between one woman and one man, the way God designed it and the way He made it happen and the way He honors it, do you stand firm in our culture when tested? When you're asked about same-sex relationships... Do you understand what the Word of God teaches about those relationships? And do you stand firm in the eyes of God so that the culture sees what God teaches? You see, sometimes we complain about the Israelite nation. We complain about the Jews messing up and having to go into captivity. And we do the same thing. When we should know what God teaches and what God preaches and what God stands for, we don't. And so we cave in and we compromise and we struggle. When we are tested, do we stand firm? The Apostle Paul was tested in many different ways. Would you agree? Second Corinthians 11th chapter. notice what it says there about Paul. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, Paul said, but I am more... I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toil, have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, have often gone without food. I've been cold, and I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern. For all of the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn with that same kind of sin. Ah, he was tested. He was tested. And you think you've got something to complain about. But our response should be the response that he wrote in the first chapter, 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 8, where the Apostle Paul gave us this. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. He has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it, was now, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am, is that this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted unto him until that very day. Until the day when God calls you home, you can trust Him because you put your faith in Him. So when you're tested, stand firm. And if you don't think you can, if you think you're going to cave, if you think you're going to give up, if you think you're going to kind of compromise in a certain area, then you need to pray. And you need to pray that God will give you the strength that you need to endure and get through that time. Recently, uh, we celebrated... Uh, the invasion at D-Day at Normandy in France when it was the beginning of the end of World War II. We celebrated those who gave us that freedom that they gave sacrificially of themselves that day. But you may not know that while they were invading on D-Day there in Europe, you may not know what was happening here at home. Let me read to you a piece of a letter that will tell you So as the word of the assault trickled out, Americans began to pray. Stores closed and prayer services were swiftly organized in small towns and in big cities. Photographs taken on June 6 show just how widespread these prayers were. One picture shows a sign in the window of a novelty button shop reading, Sorry, no covered buttons today. We're praying for the success of the invasion. A sign in front of a church read, Come in and pray for allied victory. Every hour on the hour we pray. Another photo shows Americans in a synagogue bowing their heads in prayer. At a noon mass we see men and women on their knees fervently praying. New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia took to the airwaves urging the citizens to send forth their prayers to Almighty God to bring total victory in this great and valiant struggle. In Washington, D.C., President Roosevelt, who had sons in uniform, urged Americans to join him in prayer for all of the nation's sons. With thy blessing, he prayed, we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. And by heaven prevail they did. On D-Day and in the bloody days that followed, Allied soldiers brought to vivid life the words of Winston Churchill, we shall fight in France, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight on the fields and in the streets, and we shall never surrender. And as President Reagan put it 40 years later, while speaking at Normandy to surviving army rangers, these are the men who took the cliffs. These are the heroes who helped end a war. Today, the author said, I can't help wondering how much did the prayers of the loved ones back home have to do with this great victory. War correspondent Ernie Pyle, who arrived at Normandy on June 7th, observed that the Allies achieved victory with every advantage on the enemy's side and every disadvantage on ours. Despite this, he wrote, the total Allied casualties were remarkably low, only a fraction of what our commanders had been prepared to accept. Now that it's all over, Ernie Pyle wrote, it seems to me a pure miracle that we ever took the beach at all. Yes, it was a miracle. A miracle backed up by millions upon millions of believing Christians assaulting the gates of heaven in prayer. When you're tested and you don't think you can stand you pray, and the almighty God of heaven will help you to stand firm. Lesson number two. Lesson number two. When you're confronted, be bold. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had decided that they were determined to keep their faith. They were not going to back out on God. They were not going to leave him all alone. They were going to be bold in their faith for him oh how I wish down through scripture and down through the years since that everybody would have been like that you remember what Peter did when he was confronted three different times as he followed Jesus toward the cross three different times they asked aren't you the guy who was with him and he said what no I don't even know him what happened to John Mark on a missionary journey with the apostle Paul and others and John Mark left the missionary journey and went home because he was homesick. He was not bold. What happened to the crowds that followed Jesus? And as the crowds followed Jesus, he began to talk about more difficult things than how they would have to live their lives for him. And many of them left. John, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. But the next verse in verse 67 said, You do not want to leave as well, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. The question for us today, what about you? You want to leave? You you want to back away? You want to leave God? You You want to leave the cornerstone of your faith, Jesus Christ, so that you don't have to face the difficulties of life? My friends, if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, it's time to take a costly stand for Him. You must stand firm, and you must be bold when you're confronted by others about your faith. Did you see what happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confronted by the king? He said to them, I want you to bow down, but if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fire. And what God, ...will be able to save you from me. (laughs) The response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... ...was immediate and it was bold. Our God, our God of heaven... ...will deliver us from you. So when you're confronted, be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. In fact, when Joshua took over from Moses... ...when Moses died... And Joshua became the leader of the Israelite nation in the very first chapter of the book of Joshua. In four verses, three times, God says this, "...be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors." To give to them, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Ah. I'm going to insert something that's not in the Hebrew text. Memorize it. Memorize it. How can the word of God be on your lips if you don't memorize the word of God. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in the book. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you Go. Be strong and courageous. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Strong and courageous. So when you're confronted, be bold. When tested, stand firm. When confronted, be bold. Here's the last lesson from that text. When delivered, give thanks. (laughs) There are no more heroic words ever written or ever spoken than the words I wanted you to mark earlier in your text from Daniel 3. When you find these words, when you find these words in verse 18, but even if God does not, there have been no more heroic words ever spoken by any follower of Jesus ever. Even if God does not deliver us, He is still God. They were already giving thanks. They were already praising his name. Even if God doesn't make it so that we survive this fiery furnace, it's okay because he's still our God. Uh Do we live like that? Do we live like that today? Do we have those heroic words on our lips? That even if God doesn't deliver me from this situation, do we give thanks? How How about when he delivers you from a sickness? Do you give thanks? How about when he delivers you from temptation? Do you give thanks? How about when he delivers you from from sin? Do you give thanks? Or do you just assume you did it on your own? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think any of us here are strong enough to do that on our own. We must rely upon the almighty God of heaven. Just a few verses real quick that I want you to see as we take a look at these. We begin with a passage that that, that says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. That indescribable gift is Jesus, the cornerstone. We sang about it. That's where our faith must be. We go on to the Old Testament, Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Ha! Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. One more later in the New Testament. and to go on living in the body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, far better. Hmm. To live as Christ. To die would be gain. For even if God does not. Several years ago, a friend of mine, Johnny Dale Caldwell walked down to the front of this auditorium, stood right there. He had been diagnosed with cancer of the throat and his esophagus was full and they were going to treat him, but he came down to ask the congregation for prayer. And I'll never forget him standing there that day with that microphone in his hand and him looking at the crowd and saying that either way, if he heals me here or if he heals me there, either way, I win. And that's exactly what Paul was writing in Philippians. Either way, I win. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, our God will deliver us. But even if he does not, we win. My friends, it's time for us to take that stand. That stand for God. The costly stand sometimes could cost you a friend. Could cost you your job. Could cost you a neighbor. Could cost you a relative. But it's time we stand. And take a costly stand for Jesus Christ. Because that's the way God wants us to live. Fully trusting in Him. Now real quick, three simple principles to apply to your life. Number one, God always honors our faith. He always has. He always will. Number two, we must never compromise our faith. Don't cave in. Don't give up. You stand firm. You be bold. You give thanks. God will take care of you. And number three, we will be delivered either here or with God. The Apostle Paul wrote late, late in his ministry, in his last letter, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, He said, my time for departure has come. I fought a good fight. I finished my race. And I kept the faith. And now there's a crown of righteousness being stored up for me. And not only for me, but all those who have longed for Christ's appearing. For all of those who long to see Jesus. For all of those who want to be on that cornerstone, living in Christ I'm going to take a stand I'm going to take a stand and today you may want to take that stand today you may say you know what I've never accepted Christ as my Savior and my Lord but I want to follow him today and and I want to to give him thanks for what he's done for me and, and I want to give him first place in my life you need to walk down front and give your life to Jesus Some of you have called yourselves Christians for a long time, and you are. But there have been a lot of compromises along the way, a lot of caving in. You've bounced back many times, and sometimes you didn't. Today, you need to say, God, I want to stand firm. Even if it costs me everything, I want to honor you with my life maybe right there today as you sing maybe you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord or maybe you need to come to the steps and pray and ask God to strengthen your life I don't know what you need to do today but you can give thanks by being sure that you're going to take a stand for Him would you do that? I'm going to pray we're going to sing a familiar song and as we sing you come Do what you need to do for God. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for showing us in this message, in this story of the Old Testament, how those three young men took a stand. And Father, they did that because they believed in you. They they knew you. They, They had followed you. They were committed to living life the way you wanted them to live it. Father, I pray today that there will be those who make that decision here. That they're going to come forward and they're going to say from now on I live for Christ and even if it costs me all God will find me faithful to his call. For when I praise God it may require a sacrifice. And maybe that's my heart Lord. Maybe that's my mind. Maybe that's my job. Maybe that's Maybe that's a relationship. I don't know, Father, what it's going to be for anybody else. But, Father, I pray that everyone today here will determine to stand for you. So, God, may we do that. We ask that you'll help us to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.